I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. A sower went out to sow. This is one of Jesus' most well-known parables. I can still remember the pictures in Sunday school as a child. There was always a path through rocks and lots of seeds of wheat scattered all around. And there were crows. It was always crows eating up the seed. The story was vivid and growing up in farm country, it was one that my classmates and I all understood. It seemed like a waste of good seed to us to scatter it around like the farmer in the story did. The farmers I knew tried to keep their seed out of places where it was infertile. But hey, you know, if Jesus was telling the story and he wanted to scatter seed all over the place, well, he could certainly do that. The other thing I remember is that I always knew my place in the story. I was the soil, never the seed, and never the sower. After all, Jesus says that's what we are, isn't it? The soil. It was our job to make sure we were fertile soil, well-tilled and ready to make things grow. The message always seemed to be work harder, try harder, be more, do more, harder, harder, more and more. It was just like that saying about that Jesus had about his yoke being easy and his burden light. That one we read last week, this parable always seemed to me to be about more hard work. It was exhausting and I knew that I would never measure up. It wasn't until much later in life that I finally noticed that what Jesus says in this explanation of the parable is that it's a parable about the kingdom of God. In fact, all parables are about the kingdom. And it's tempting for us to forget that. We generally like to be the parables to be about Jesus and us. But that whole business of the kingdom is just confusing and we don't like kingdoms and kings much anyway, so we can ignore that part, right? But no, we really cannot. It is the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Take your choice. They are the same place. It is the place where God is present, where all things are rightly ordered, where there is no privation or lack of anything essential and where human beings live out of their love for one another and for God and in God's love for them. It is a place filled with glory. The kingdom was a place that Jews had longed for, a place where God's presence would be permanently in the temple, where a reality, and it was a reality that would come with the Messiah. And so Jesus comes as the Messiah, proclaiming that this work of setting everything right had begun through him and in his followers. And he tells stories about the kingdom. And this one is about the kingdom and the response of those who hear his good news. And there's one other critically important thing to remember about the parables that are about the kingdom. They are all this one included, filled with reckless grace. And that's why Jesus, the sower, ends up throwing seed around with reckless abandon.
Now, I want to avoid the usual turn of sermons on this parable and avoid that try harder, work harder, do more, be better, feel inadequate moralizing to which preachers can sometimes be tempted. Kingdom parables are about extravagant grace. Jesus never says that the sower will only come once to that field. The seed will always be sown. It'll be sown with abandon and the soil and the field can change. The hard and beaten down path, the path where the root cannot penetrate and the seed cannot sprout, that can be a ground formed by our own experiences. It can be the ground of a high school student who reads the texts of atheism and is so convinced by their polemic and so incapable of addressing their philosophical errors that the assertions she found there become unassailable truths, things that are believed by all the smart people. And because being thought smart is the thing of great value, pride grasps onto that belief and it will not let go. Or that path that is hard and rocky can be the ground of evil perpetrated upon us as it was for someone who once came to me for direction. She was furious and brokenhearted all at the same time. She had been abused in horrible ways by her father when she was very, very young, and she knew her mother had known. Why, she wanted to know, had God done this to her? What had she done to deserve it? She did not believe in God and she hated God all at the same time. Her fury and her hatred was, she believed, all she had to defend herself against God and the reality of the evil done to her. Anger was coiled around her like a snake, fending off all words of love and healing. The evil one, Jesus says, comes and steals away what was sown in their hearts. Then there is the happy seed who bears the good news of the kingdom but can grow no further than a sprout because of its lack of roots. It is like those who come to church and love it, who love seeing all their friends and happily receive the sacraments but have no sense of wonder or understanding about the great gift they have been given by God. When, as is increasingly common, their friends criticize them for doing such a silly thing as going to church. They shrink back from being present or find another activity or enter entertainment to fill that time. Or if tragedy should strike, a fatal illness or an accident which takes the life of a loved one. Their grief and confusion about who, in, in their grief and confusion about who Jesus is, they will abandon their faith because bad things should not happen to good people. And in treating the gifts of Christ lightly and carelessly, there is nothing to support a life of faith when any sort of challenge arises. The thorny ground that Jesus speaks of, 
the thorns that can choke out the new sprouts of faith may not be the fault of negligence, but in fact of diligence. The first day of my work at an advertising agency, we were handed a copy of the in-house magazine. And the very first essay in that magazine was by the chairman of the company. I'll never forget it. It described the values that would make for a successful career at the agency. Among them, if it came down to the choice between celebrating your wedding anniversary or a child's birthday or your vacation and the needs of the client, you would always, always choose client. No excuses. I was only 22, but I sure got that message. And since I was supporting our family, there was no choice but to comply. It took some time before I would limit the request to work on Sunday by saying that I couldn't be there before one o'clock. Some people never get the privilege I had. Fear kept me in place. Fear of losing my job, fear of not being able to find another, Fear can fertilize the thorns of life and choke out the seed of Christ. The most ancient Christian sermons on this parable are all convinced that it is ultimately about spiritual warfare that is waged by that in this world which does not want good or God for us. And I think they're right about this. You need not personify this evil. In fact, you should not. But we do run a terrible risk when we do not recognize the challenge it, prevent, uh, it presents and the difficulty it will set before us. The circumstances that make, us, make it hard for us to hear the message of Christ may be under our control or not. But we should learn to recognize that the evil one, as Jesus calls it, will use pride, our anger, even our justified anger, our carelessness, our fear, and any other tool available to turn us and keep us, keep Christ's word from growing and flourishing within us. The very good news in this kingdom parable is this. The sower keeps coming. He longs for his word to grow and flourish in each of us, and he will sow with wild abandon forever. The soil of our lives can be changed, and that is a great gift of grace. And in the end, should we be willing, we can be fruitful 30, 60, 100-fold, in the pursuit of the life of the kingdom. Amen.